You're listening to Crohn's and Colitis Foundation Perspectives on ReachMD. This activity is supported by an independent educational grant from Bristol-Myers Squibb. Before beginning, please be sure to review the disclosure statements as well as the learning objectives. And now, here's Dr. Lisa B. Malter. As the landscape of IBD patients is changing, it's important for healthcare professionals to be aware of the diversity in patient populations and how to best serve them. We will begin by discussing the changing demographic of IBD in diverse patient populations, and then hear directly from patients regarding their experiences as they have been impacted by inequities in their IBD journey. We'll be able to then discuss disparities in care and how to bridge those gaps. We would like to note that we're aware each patient's experience through diagnosis and treatment is unique, and these two experiences are just two examples of two lived experiences. We hope that they can provide value to you as you hear the patient's story and encourage you to ask the question. As a result of hearing these two stories and the patient perspective, how can I look to improve my clinical practice? What tools can I use to communicate effectively with diverse patient populations? So in addition, please be sure to tune in for the next webinar as part of this series. We will be sharing discussions on how to apply the principles in a multidisciplinary fashion to your clinical practice. So I'm going to review our learning objectives for today's webinar. We want to leverage current case studies, research results, and Crohn's and Colitis Foundation resources to demonstrate the diversity of the IBD patient population. We want to explain current disparities in patient care and methods in which healthcare professionals can work through these known disparities. We want to identify differences in patient disease perception and self-management within IBD patient populations. And we want to describe and discredit current myths about inflammatory bowel disease related to certain patient populations, such as Black and African Americans, Hispanic, Latino, Asian, and the Ashkenazi Jewish patient population. Roughly 3.9 million females and 3 million males are living in the world with IBD currently. Historically, this has been a disease of wealthy countries, and this may be related to urbanization, the hygiene theory, environmental factors, and dietary factors. However, we must also consider greater access to diagnostic testing and more health literacy in these parts of the world. It's also important to be aware that prevalence continues to increase given overall improved survival in IBD, as well as overall improved survival in all chronic illnesses. And the prevalence and incidence are increasing in historically low regions of the world. Taking a look at prevalence changes from 1990 to 2017, we see across the world this map that is color-coded where the negative uh, changes in, in prevalence are in the blue cooler colors, and you see positive changes in percentage in the warmer colors. And you see areas of Central America and Africa and Southeast Asia with increasing numbers uh, during this period. Taking a look at a U.S. patient population, obviously an older one when you look at Medicare beneficiaries specifically, um, over a 17-year period in the early 2000s, we see that both there is an increase overall in inflammatory bowel disease, both Crohn's disease and ulcerative colitis, but as you'll see, it is increasing across all of these different racial groups. Looking at Latin America and the Caribbean specifically, this comes from a nice review article from Paulo Cozzi out of Brazil, and you see that over time, the incidence of both Crohn's disease and ulcerative colitis is increasing between 1980 and 2015. 
Lastly, looking at some data out of Asia by Dr. Ng Su, we see that this incidence map, IBD, in 13 Asian Pacific countries or regions between 2011 and 2013, and you see that there is an increase in incidence of both ulcerative colitis and Crohn's disease. So there are some theories regarding the change of epidemiology and IBD that are being observed. This may be related to environmental changes, increased awareness, both from the patient side as well as the clinician side, improved access to care, as well as the development of surveillance systems in parts of the world that historically have not seen IBD before. Some notes that have been observed with regard to IBD is that there is a higher risk of IBD amongst second versus first generation and younger versus older immigrants when moving from a low to a high incidence country. Second, this shift has taken place rather quickly. Over the past 10 or so years, we've seen all of these changes to the incidence and population of our IBD patients, implying that there's some non-genetic and gene environmental interactions that are at play with regard to the pathophysiology of IBD in this group, so not just genes alone. And lastly, epidemiologic data in inception countries is reduced relative to that available from high incidence countries due to disparities in care, which then results in lack of underestimation of cases and lack of resources to accurately document and track the IBD that is present in that part of the world. There are some environmental factors that we know impact IBD. The prevalence of IBD seems to increase in patients that immigrate to a country that has a higher prevalence of the disease. Western diets that are high in sugar and fat and lower in fruit and vegetables are associated with the development of IBD. Areas of Latin America and the Caribbean that are more industrialized are noted to have higher rates of IBD. Again, this may be related to diet, but also can't cleanly assess whether access to care and health literacy are at play here. It's also important to be aware that Hispanic patients that have moved to Miami and then subsequently developed IBD had reported changing their diet to a more Western one prior to their diagnosis of inflammatory bowel disease. And varying health behaviors amongst different racial and ethnic groups may have an impact on disease course and outcome. This can include things like smoking. Certain races and ethnic groups are more likely to be smokers than others. And antibiotic exposure, of course, we see this more commonly in, in wealthy parts of the world, but also in other parts of the world, there can be greater access to antibiotics. They're not requiring prescriptions and patients have more ability to access and take antibiotics potentially unnecessarily. So these are good to be hard to tease out, but important trends to be aware of in trying to understand the changing demographic and how to best meet the needs of the changing uh, patient population. So taking a look at the current state of affairs, what we know about IBD to date. So with regard to Crohn's disease and ulcerative colitis, there is some data looking at specific racial groups, Black, Hispanic, and Asian in this paper by Florence Odafalu that was recently published in Current Opinions in Gastroenterology. And this is a really nice table that compiles all of the information that we have. So in Black patients and Crohn's disease, we tend to see a higher proportion of patients that are presenting with penetrating disease and a smaller proportion, in contrast, that have limited ileal or non-penetrating disease. Additionally, there seems to be a higher incidence of perianal Crohn's disease in this patient group. In Hispanic patients in Crohn's disease, we tend to see similar behavior compared to a Caucasian cohort. However, there seems to be reduced upper gastrointestinal disease in our Hispanic patient population. 
And Asians with Crohn's disease tend to have a larger proportion of isolated upper gastrointestinal involvement relative to a Caucasian. In ulcerative colitis, we have less data available to us, but we do have some data suggesting that there are lower rates of proctitis in Black patient population. When looking at extraintestinal manifestations, this is a really popular topic in terms of how we best serve our patients. And when we pick a treatment strategy, making sure we choose one that encompasses comprehensive care, including managing the extraintestinal manifestations. So learning more about how this impacts different racial and ethnic groups can help us better serve our patients. We note that in Black patients, there tends to be a higher rate of uveitis, um, as well as arthralgias, uh, including ankylosing spondylitis or sacroiliitis. And in our Hispanic patient population, we tend to notice that there's a higher prevalence of erythema nodosum compared to a Caucasian patient population. We also do know that um, in terms of age of presentation, um, older age patient populations um, do tend um, to be noted in non-white patient populations compared to uh, a white or Caucasian patient population. And driving factors for this may be related to genetics, environmental factors, but again, we always have to consider the social factors that may impact diagnosis or monitoring, including cultural barriers, low index of suspicion from the clinician, um, or limited resources for making the diagnosis and um, initiating and managing um, continued care. There are some treatment differences that have been observed, both between medical and surgical management of our patients with inflammatory bowel disease. We have looked at patient populations that are Asian, African-American, and Hispanic, and single center studies have been done, as well as some larger database studies, and really, most of the results are quite inconsistent. This is with regard to biologic use, immunomodulator use and response, steroids, as well as medication adherence. So there's definitely more work to be done in this space to better understand. From a surgical perspective, there's many studies that have looked at rates of surgery with no clear appreciated trends between different racial and ethnic groups. The only one area that has been noted is that there seems to be a worse surgical outcome in Crohn's disease for African-American patients in contrast to other races. We looked locally at our own institution at NYU to look at healthcare utilization and outcomes in IBD, and we performed a retrospective analysis that compared a cohort of patients that were cared for in our private setting in contrast to those that were cared for in our public hospital setting. We looked at 322 patients, roughly 50% female, 50% from each of our hospital sites, so an even group, and noted some key findings, including that Patients treated in the public hospital were more likely to use our emergency room for care relative to those that were at our private hospital. We noted that unemployment patients with inflammatory bowel disease had higher rates of surgery. We noted that Crohn's disease patients who were unemployed had higher rates of prolonged steroid use, emergency department visits, and hospitalizations compared to those that were employed. In ulcerative colitis, we noted patients that had Medicaid were more likely to be hospitalized compared to those who were uninsured had Medicare or private insurance. And in ulcerative colitis patients with private insurance, we noted that they were more likely to achieve the endpoint of mucosal healing compared to those who were uninsured with Medicaid or Medicare. So taking a look into the needs of our patient population to better understand how we can serve them best. So I wanna start with a couple of definitions that helps um, even the playing field to make sure everyone understands the concepts we're gonna review. Um, first, health equity. Um, this is a CDC uh, definition. 
uh, which is the attainment of the highest level of health for all people. And the note that we will achieve health equity when everyone has the opportunity to be as healthy as possible. Health disparity, on the other hand, is a specific difference linked with, so with social, economic, and or environmental disadvantages. This is a great graphic that comes from a recent review paper by Dr. Ed Barnes from UNC, looking at racial and ethnic disparities in treatment and inflammatory bowel disease specifically. And it goes through these various kind of buckets that we could be considering when we think about the disparities in care that our patient population currently experiences. This includes environmental differences, including sociocultural and dietary differences, phenotypic differences, differences in disease perception and self-management of the condition, differences in adherence to medications or treatment plans, differences in provider decision-making, delays in diagnosis, differences in insurance coverage and cost of care, differences in access to inflammatory bowel disease specialists, and genetic differences. And this is a great springboard for a lot of discussions that are essential to have to try and optimize and equalize the care that our patients are receiving. So some key steps to help promote equity, health equity, and IBD includes first, detecting it, creating an awareness that this even exists, then taking steps to understand what is causing these different disparities and what would help you get to a health equity state and working actively to reduce. So I wanna talk about social determinants of health and here again, another definition. Social determinants of health is kind of an umbrella term for a number of different aspects of, um, of a person's life um, and that may impact their health outcomes. So this includes things like economic stability, their education level, the social and community context which they live in, their health and their health neighborhood, uh, health care, um, and the neighborhood and the built environment in which they live. Um, and so these are, you know, a lot, there's a lot here. There's a lot of aspects that are helping to determine how a patient does with a condition and as they work their way through the health system um, and having an awareness of the various social determinants of health on a particular patient and then um, understanding their needs relative to these determinants of health is going to be essential to meeting the patient where they're at and optimizing their care. So looking at some studies that have honed in on social determinants of health, we have a study that came out of Canada from Judge Bernstein and colleagues looking at the role of lower socioeconomic status in a cohort of about 9,000 IBD patients in Manitoba. And they looked at outcomes including hospitalization, ICU stay, high dose steroids, and death. And basically there is a relative risk increase for patients that come from a lower socioeconomic status in all of these categories. So all of these outcomes happen more frequently in our patients that are from a lower socioeconomic status. Health literacy in IBD has been looked at as well. First, again, to make sure everyone is clear, health literacy is the degree to which individuals have the ability to find, understand, and use information and services to inform health-related decisions and actions for themselves and others. And this is a study that comes out of Alabama, looking at about 175 patients. 135 of them were Caucasian, 40 African-American, and they assessed health literacy using the newest vital sign score, where they're considered either limited or marginal or adequate. And if you look to the right, you see the breakdown, and there is a statistically significant difference where the African-American patients had greater risk of having limited or marginal health literacy relative to the Caucasian patient population. 
And when you break it down even further and look at the subgroup analysis, older African-American patients are at the greatest risk for having low health literacy in an IBD patient population. And this, again, is going to be helpful for us to understand how to optimize our patient care when we are talking to our patients and thinking about how to break down the complicated information we are going to provide them about their chronic condition as well as our treatment strategies. Another aspect of social determinants of health is this great study looking at food insecurity and social support on financial toxicity in IBD patients. This was a retrospective study using the National Health Interview Survey and evaluated the relationship between food insecurity, social supports, financial toxicity, and emergency department utilization for IBD patients. So again, some further definitions here, lots of new terminology for many of you. Food insecurity is something that's defined by the U.S. Department of Agriculture by a 10-item questionnaire using a Likert scale and assesses um, patients' answers to questions, things like concern about running out of food or cutting portions due to cost and things of that nature. Lack of social support was defined in this study as negative response to people in the neighborhood to help each other or count on or trust or a question surrounding is the neighborhood close-knit or being worried about housing costs. So all of these questions were posed um, and a social support score was assessed in these patients. And then financial toxicity was defined as financial hardship due to medical bills, personal and health-related financial distress, healthcare affordability, and medication non-adherence, specifically due to cost. And what this study found was that one in eight patients with inflammatory bowel disease experiences food insecurity and lack social support, which is then associated with financial toxicity. And this is really heartbreaking um, data to have but necessary to have so that we can, again, try and um, meet our patients where they're at and really try to optimize, especially given the changing demographic of patients impacted by inflammatory bowel disease. Access to care is another area where um, there is concern about, um, again, optimizing patient care. And so looking at a number of ambulatory care visits for a patient seems to be directly related to opportunities for healthcare and improving healthcare. Uh, and a recent study that was published in Digestive Diseases and Scientists, Sciences a few months ago noted that compared to patients from urban settings, patients who live in rural areas had fewer outpatient visits with their gastroenterologist had higher rates of IBD hospitalizations, as well as higher rates of emergency department visits. And this was noted to disproportionately affect Black patients with inflammatory bowel disease. So this is a takeaway in terms of educating our patients, um, making sure our patients have routine follow-up, um, and being aware that um, there can be a disconnect when it's harder to get to the clinical care setting, depending on distance, um, jobs, uh, climate, things of that nature, and potentially trying to identify ways to bridge that gap, including the use of telehealth and other modalities. So in order to narrow the gap um, in IBD with regard to uh, social determinants of health, we want to start by assessing these in our practice. Uh, we recognize that this is something that isn't always easy to do. Patients aren't always forthcoming about it, uh, but we have to start to ask the questions in order to understand the needs of our patients. The use of patient navigators assisting with a lot of these um, types of assessments is really helpful, um, which then allows the care team to focus on disease management. We do know that this does come at a cost, though, and implementing these resources into clinical practice is not something that can just happen um, without a lot of thought, planning, and resources. 
providing culturally competent care and IBD is increasingly important as well, again, with the changing demographic and increasing diversity in our patient population. And this is defined as the ability of systems to provide care to patients with diverse values, beliefs, behaviors, including tailoring the healthcare delivery to meet the patient's social, cultural, and linguistic needs. And this, this uh, diagram to the right comes from a systematic review and narrative synthesis of an ethnically diverse patient population with gastrointestinal illnesses, not just specifically inflammatory bowel disease, but all gastrointestinal illnesses. And as you can imagine, since gastrointestinal illnesses oftentimes have create symptoms that can be embarrassing or impact patients' ability to participate fully in their lives, the themes that come up are definitely related and important to patients with inflammatory bowel disease as much as, as other gastrointestinal conditions. And the areas that were noted to have impact included religion, culture, social context, language barriers, and health literacy. And the themes that were presented in this narrative synthesis that patients reported were related to disease presentation experiences, healthcare service experiences, medication adherence experiences, psychological health experiences, and sociocultural experiences. And again, just creating the awareness that ethnic minority patients may experience with regard to their gastrointestinal illness is the first step. And then again, some ideas for trying to narrow those gaps that we will be covering in this talk. So enhancing cultural competency in IBD, this includes things like starting by integrating cultural competency into professional development for your care team, appreciating that inflammatory bowel disease, along with other gastrointestinal illnesses, may be considered a taboo topic, and therefore additional support from the clinical team, including psychosocial support, may be really critical. Generating informational resources in more languages and incorporating the patient perspective into those resources creating awareness that in particular patient populations, diets may be related to cultural beliefs and alteration in diet may impact social and religious gatherings for the patient, and providing interpreter services for all clinical encounters. And I'd like to highlight um, SEO, which is the South Asian IBD Alliance, which is a patient clinician collaborative looking to assist Southeast Asian patients with inflammatory bowel disease by partnering with the clinicians in order to optimize care and have real discussions about the disease, uh, expectations for management, expectations for outcome. Um, and this is really a phenomenal, uh, phenomenal start to um, opening the discussion and providing complete support for patients um, from this background. Thinking about our medications and understanding if the medications we have are appropriate, we've already seen that different racial and ethnic groups may have different disease presentations. So it's important to be aware that really our trials do not have diverse patient populations in them. There have been a couple of assessments of this, including a recent research letter in gastroenterology that looked at 150 trials for inflammatory bowel disease and noted that, first of all, only 20 to 25% of the trials reported on race. So we have no idea. They reported on gender, disease, medication, but did not even include race. Of the trials that did include race, 90% of the trial participants were white or Caucasian. And so this tells you there's really a significant shortfall. The IBD partner study, which comes from uh, funding with Crohn's and Colitis Foundation, 
looked at about 14,000 patients and roughly 1,100 of those 14,000 participated in a clinical trial. And if you look at the race breakdown, you see that 89.4% of those patients that participated in the trial were white or Caucasian. Percentages from the other groups are very, very, very small. So there's a long way to go with trying to diversify our trials. Um, and thankfully, there are some plans to aid in the recruitment of a more diverse IBD patient population sample for studies. Clinical trials historically have struggled with diversity because there can be investigator biases. As we've talked about, clinicians can make the assumption that patients from certain races or ethnic groups may not have inflammatory bowel disease. There are significant patient biases. There is history that we're all aware of with regard to trials and trust issues and deceit that may have been picked up uh, and passed down. And so it can be really hard to get patients to agree to participate in a trial um, without spending some time talking to them about the rationale for the trial, how the trial works, and building their trust. And then, of course, access. Most trials occur at large medical centers in urban locations. As we've talked about, there are access to care issues for patients that are not in an urban setting, and therefore, it can be very difficult to get to a trial. And then with repeated visits required, very onerous for the patient to participate in the trial on an ongoing basis. The FDA is aware that diversity in trials is an issue, not just in IBD, and there is a national initiative that is working to try and, and narrow this gap. It includes enrolling patients that are relevant to the race, gender, ethnicity, and age of the patients that actually have the disease in a real-world setting. It includes making participation in trials somewhat less burdensome. It includes creating creative, inclusive outreach for recruitment providing cultural competency training for trial staff, including trial sites that have diversity built right in based on their patient population, and considering resources to bridge language barriers in recruiting patients for trials. So again, I do wanna highlight the steps to help promote health equity and reduce disparities in IBD care. This includes first detecting, asking the questions, suspecting there may be disparities and trying to better understand what those disparities are in order to help us reduce. So in conclusion, the incidence of IBD in non-Caucasian patients is rising. Westernization and immigration are the environmental factors that seem to be driving this change. Data-driven treatment algorithms for non-Caucasian IBD patients are not currently available. We're currently borrowing from what we know, which is primarily from a Caucasian patient population. And lastly, currently outcomes do appear to be heavily related to disparities in care, cultural and language barriers, and access um, to diagnosis and disease detection. We'll now hear from two IBD patients with diverse backgrounds um, about their experiences with um, their disease management and, and treatment. We have today here with us Rocio and Tara, um, and we'd love to welcome them um, and are so excited to hear about their stories today. Rocio, would you like to introduce yourself? My name is Rocio and I live in Orange County, California, and I have Crohn's disease. I've been a Crohn's patient for nearly 19 years. Unfortunately, for the first five years of that time, I was undiagnosed. I actually presented with visualizing disease and underwent a few surgeries during that time. Um, unbeknownst to me, fistulas are very commonly associated with Crohn's disease, but I was under the care of a physician who wasn't specialized in IBD. So I underwent these two surgeries, a lot of complications and a lot of suffering during those first five years, 
until I uh, ended up with my medical care team who I'm with now, who was able to diagnose me almost immediately after seeing my medical records. So unfortunately, my disease journey was much more complicated in those first five years, in large part because I didn't know what I was living with and because I didn't have the appropriate um, clinicians who were able to, to tell me what, you know, what, I was, what I was going through. So uh, since that time, I have been under you know, a, a specialized IBD care team that is multidisciplinary, and I have you know, a, a, you know, ongoing um, communication with my, team, with my medical team, and they're able to you know, care for me in the proper way for my disease, um, as opposed to what I went through the first five years. Thank you, Rocio. Um, we really appreciate you sharing. Um, so many of these stories um, are so difficult um, and just having a chronic illness uh, in and of itself is difficult, but then um, the journey to the diagnosis and the proper management um, can be so difficult and so uh, complicated. So in terms of, of, of getting the right course, um, and getting on a road to recovery. Um, we thank you so much for sharing. And Tara, um, we'd love to hear about um, who you are and your journey with inflammatory bowel disease. Thank you for, for having me. My name is uh, Tara. Uh, I am in Houston, Texas. Uh, my journey started um, in 2009. Um, I started getting very sick, um, couldn't keep food down. And over time, um, the episodes that I was having started to become more frequent um, and uh, they would last longer. And so I ended up in an emergency room where uh, the emergency doctor was able to diagnose my condition. But when I went to talk to my general uh, physician, they said that they didn't believe that I had Crohn's um, because, you know, uh, black people did not get Crohn's. And so as a result, you know, um, the treatment, um, really there was no treatment. He gave me pain medication and that was pretty much it. Um, and so uh, when I was finally able to see a GI doctor um, because I didn't have insurance at the time, um, it took me a longer, it took me longer to be able to get and seek treatment once I got with the GI doctor, uh, that particular doctor was not able to diagnose my condition. And so really, I was not able to be diagnosed until 2014. Um, but once I was able to be diagnosed um, and start treatment, um, things started to improve. I had to go through a series of medications before I found one that worked. Um, currently, I am in remission. Um, I did have a bowel resection uh, in 2019. And so since then, um, things have been um, very stable for me. Okay. Thank you for uh, sharing that with us, um, Tara. I think, you know, I, similar themes here, um, unfortunate similar themes, um, but so important to be, be willing to share those um, with others so that um, both clinicians as well as patients um, learn from your experiences. It's such a valuable opportunity to hear you guys speak today. Um, so along with those shared themes, um, 
Rocio, have you um, had previous experiences in the healthcare system where you think things could have been improved with regard to communication, um, shared decision-making, um, trust, um, and building a rapport with the clinicians and the team that's taking care of you? Can you um, speak to any of those themes with regard to your own experience? Sure. So it, definitely, I mean, I think there's always room for improvement in a, in a lot of things, but um, particularly in the healthcare system. Um, and as it relates to very complicated diseases like Crohn's and ulcerative colitis, um, you know, we all present very differently. Uh, I happen to have a very different type of Crohn's than most patients. And so even symptomatically, I'm going to present differently than kind of the, the typical patient. Um, that being said, I think from a, a healthcare perspective, you know, I think there's a lot that isn't considered, which is the human, um, kind of what our life is like, what we're dealing with, what our future, what we want for our future, you know, just a lot of different aspects of our life that kind of need to be taken into account, at, um, you know, when getting treatment options or getting, you know, surgical options, you know, it's all considerations that we have to live with forever. And so, you know, it, I, I wish there was much more decision-making that was shared. Um, you know, as I mentioned earlier in my, my earlier years without being diagnosed, I really, I didn't know anything about IBD. So I, I had no information to work off of, you know, I know significantly more now and I can speak up for myself and advocate for myself. But at the time I really was, was just completely unaware. So I really wish there would have been more, more um, teaching from the uh, previous physicians to be able to explain to me what is Crohn's disease, what is IBD, what are fistulas. I mean, there was so much that I, especially being a younger patient, um, was just it was just kind of ignored and not shared with me. Um, so I think you know there's a lot of things that that physicians and just an entire healthcare team can take into consideration. Um, you know, even things as simple as as diet and um, you know having family with you you know, culturally, sometimes there's, there's differences um, with patients as well. And I think that also needs to be taken into account. I mean, we're seeing our specialists for a reason, obviously for our IBD, but there's, you know, it really extends beyond just a disease. It takes over our life. So I think uh, physicians and healthcare teams need to really play a full active role in every aspect of our life because it, IBD affects um, our whole life. Yes, very true. It is is not just um, a one-time um, medical need, and it does not just have to be limited to the, the intestinal tract, as, as we all know, but of course, um, so, so difficult if you don't have that education um, or have that information being provided to you. Can I ask, um, in your experience, um, were any assumptions made about you based on your age, your race, ethnicity, et cetera, that you think um, could have been handled differently um, and may have impacted your outcome, um, either medically or you know, just the way you were even feeling about the care you were receiving? Uh, I do. I mean, I think age was a big part of it. I was in my early 20s and you know, I was seen as a young woman who, you know, I almost like there wasn't, there didn't need to be that much information that was, that was being provided to me. So yes, I do think that there's definitely, there were assumptions that were made in my, especially my early um, journey because of my age. IBD was going to affect me for the rest of my life. And I wish that someone would have told me that very early on um, for a lot of reasons, um, especially as a woman of reproductive age and, and just 
you know, just what my future held for me. Um, in addition, you know, there's a lot of assumptions that were made because of my ethnicity in the sense that I am Hispanic and there is an assumption that Hispanics eat spicy foods. I personally do not, nor does my Peruvian culture really. And so, you know, the assumption that I'm flaring or that I'm having symptoms because uh, I'm eating spicy foods is completely irrelevant for me because that's completely inaccurate. And so, you know, there's things like that where I wish that, you know, assumptions weren't made and, and question, more questions were asked that people, you know, patients were able to speak up and be able to, to, to feel comfortable with the healthcare team and be able to share, you know, what it is we're experiencing and why it is we're experiencing. Um, so I think, you know, there's definitely assumptions that are made for a lot of reasons, um, you know, whether even, you know, from a, an insurance perspective, you know, there's been many times that I've been asked what insurance I have, and I've been privileged to have very good, very good insurance all my life. And so I'm grateful for that, but I shouldn't be viewed as, you know, a patient with X insurance type, you know, there's no reason to associate me with an insurance. I should be treated as a human and as, as an IBD patient. Very true. Um, and I really think um, it's, it's, so critical um, to be sharing this with our viewers. Um, I think that um, there's some that don't even contemplate that these questions need to arise, but then there are also clinicians who, depending on the practice environment, maybe maybe um, making assumptions um, and just bringing them to the forefront and creating this awareness is is such a valuable opportunity. So. Thank you for sharing um, that personal experience. Um, Tara, we'd love to hear from you now, um, just in terms of these themes with regard to, you know, your experience as a patient. Um, how could your healthcare experience be improved? Um, again, were you subject to any assumptions? I know you did mention uh, initially there were some assumptions made based on your race and the diagnosis, um, but um, how did that impact you know, your trust between you and your um, healthcare professional? Um, how was decision-making handled? Um, were there any concerns about communication? Um, can, you, can you speak to any of these themes with your own experience? Yeah, so um, after um, my doctor did say to me that, um, you know, Black people don't get Crohn's, um, it, it was, you know, there there was no trust after that. So um, he's no longer my, my doctor. Um, I, I realized I had to find a doctor um, who would listen to me. And so... I didn't feel like, you know, if you're telling me that I don't have Crohn's, then help me figure out what it was or what I do have. And so I didn't feel like, you know, he was listening. I didn't feel like there was any compassion there. And so as a result, I had to seek out a new healthcare provider. Um, and throughout this journey, I mean, it's very difficult because you're not only are you're going through the physical change of your body because I was steadily losing weight, um, not able to keep food down. And so, you know, every doctor that I went to before I found my current doctor, it just seemed like they, they did. I don't want to say that they didn't care, but it was almost like, well, 
I, I don't know what else to do for you. Um, or, you know, maybe you don't actually have anything. You know, I, I had a doctor ask me uh, if I was depressed and I, I thought, well, yeah, I, I am depressed. I'm depressed because I don't know what's wrong with me and you can't tell me. And, you know, as a result, I had surgeries that I probably didn't need. I had my gallbladder taken out. I was diagnosed with several different other things from celiac disease, um, you know, to, like I said, having my gallbladder removed. And it was just the emotional stress that you go through because you know that something's wrong with you, yet people aren't listening to you and you don't feel like you're understood. Um, so I just wish that maybe that doctor had a thought about, okay, if this is what the emergency doctor said, um, maybe there's a test that we can do. Maybe I need to do this, but instead there was not even a, you know, that wasn't even taken into consideration. And so, you know, that kind of started that, that long journey of being misdiagnosed, um, until somebody finally heard me. Thank you for sharing. It sounds excruciating um, to have to have gone through um, all of that. And, you know, I think collectively we give you so much credit for being willing to share um, that experience because I'm sure it was it was really difficult to go through it. And um, I'm sure that, you know, you still it's, it's still there for you. It doesn't ever go away. Um, and so, so fantastic that you're in a better place and a place where sharing it feels comfortable because I think, you know, um, clinicians as well as patients alike will benefit from, from hearing from your experience. So thank you. Um, when you think back about your experience with regard to your diagnosis and your treatment process, um, what do you think could have been improved along the way, um, you know, just with specifics regarding your, your diagnosis and management um, in the past, as well as potentially um, at the current time? Um, well, in the past, I felt like there wasn't a strong level of communication. Um, I, I felt like you, I would go to the doctor there wasn't a whole lot of explanation. Um, there wasn't a whole, I, I didn't feel like they were looking at, you know, maybe the big picture. Um, and I, I say that because of the care that I'm, I'm currently under. I feel like this particular doctor looks at, you know, the big picture. Um, and I feel like I can communicate with this doctor. I feel like it's a partnership with my doctor and I and the staff, um, and it's not just my physician, but it's the staff, and I feel like they took their time to educate me on my condition. Um, prior to that, I, I didn't feel like, you know, I didn't know, I didn't know anything. I didn't know um, how to manage Crohn's. I didn't know, you know, it took so long to figure out what I actually had, but during that time, I just felt like there, there was nothing. And so, you know, I started reading some things and, and trying to figure out the symptoms are there. And I, I can see if I, I look at, you know, what my symptoms are, this is what it's pointing to. But you continuously, like I said, you have people that aren't listening. 
And so I felt like there was no partnership between me and um, some of the doctors that I had. And I, I do understand that Crohn's is hard to diagnose. Um, and there were tests that I had to fight to take. There were tests that I had to take more than once um, because you know, something may not have shown up uh, in this particular test. You know, and I had to fight to say, okay, can we take the test again? And it was through doing that that I was able to finally get the diagnosis, but I felt like I had to, I felt like there was a struggle. Like I constantly had to struggle with the doctors to get them to hear me and to understand what it was I was going through. Thank you. So the communication and the relationship um, rapport building that you have with your care team, um, it sounds like has been really essential to the success of, of your current um, state of your disease and um, probably overall feeling in general, um, if I had to, I had to guess. Um, I'm, you know, again, thank you so much for sharing that. Um, we'd love to hear, um, Rocio, if you um, can share anything from your own um, diagnosis um, and treatment plan that could be improved or could have been improved along the way, um, similar to Tara. Yes, definitely. And I'd say, you know, as I listen to Tara tell her story, there's so much that just comes back to, again, those first five years of being undiagnosed, where I was just basically being told information by my physician, as opposed to having that shared communication. Um, and even then, it was very minimal communication. And in part, some of it was with my parents, because I was young, and it was never clear and direct. Um, and so, you know, one of the other things that I encountered especially after, you know, having fistulas and having undergoing fistulotomies um, a, a couple of times, I went back to my physician crying and trying to figure out what was wrong with me. And I had to beg to, to have him see me and have him figure out a plan for me. And unfortunately he didn't have one. And he very easily passed me on to another medical team, which is actually where I'm, who I'm with today. And I'm so glad that he did that at least. But even then, it was just he literally wrote a piece, a name on on a piece of paper and and sent me on my way, um, you know. And then all the legwork, all the medical records I had to do on my own to establish with my current team. That said, you know, it's night and day to to be working with a medical team that's IBD specialized. That you know, in my first um, appointment with the physician, he looked at my medical records and it was very easily able to tell me that I had Crohn's just because of my uh, recurring fistulas. Um, you know, one of the things I just mentioned, I had two fistulotomies that I never should have had. I should have been under uh, medical treatment first that would have healed the fistulas without me undergoing surgeries, which has now caused me significant number of complications and additional surgeries beyond that. So, you know, there's so much that really did go wrong those first five years um, that I wish patients don't have to go through now. And, you know, I know, um, as Tara mentioned, you know, obviously both diseases are very hard to diagnose, but I do, you know, feel that patients need to have a lot more information provided to them to be able to understand um, the disease that they're living with. And, and then of course, how to live, how to live with it and how to treat it and what options are available to them. So, you know, a lot went wrong in the, in the first part of my journey, but, you know, a lot's going well with my current team. And, and I do feel like having that ongoing communication, sharing 
you know, other circumstances that may be affecting our disease, um, you know, is important so that our clinicians can understand, you know, what our bodies are going through and why we may be flaring because of other underlying reasons. So, you know, that communication, I think, is definitely the biggest factor to consider um, for from a clinician to patient perspective and vice versa. Thank you. Thank you both for um, sharing these stories. It's been um, phenomenal to be able to kind of unpack your experience. Um, and really, again, um, so um, fantastic that you're willing to provide um, your experience um, with clinicians uh, who are out there taking care of patients and with the um, changing demographic of those afflicted by IBD. Um, these themes are going to be only increasingly um, more common um, and more important to tackle. There are a few themes that I think would be important to reflect on at the conclusion um, of our program today. I think the, the theme of bias has come up um, in both of your stories uh, and having an open attitude about who may uh, be afflicted by inflammatory bowel disease. Really, we can't ever say that any um, race or ethnicity is excluded from this disease, unfortunately. Um, the numbers are only increasing um, and the diversity is only expanding. So anybody um, can have this condition at this time. Um, and it's important, clearly, communication has been a theme that has come up over and over. And I think the, you know, how both of you ended uh, your, your discussions and stories today was just the notion of communication, shared decision-making, um, communication, including uh, education of you as the, as the patient, um, which will help you in the shared decision-making process, as well as allow you to have ownership of your disease um, and advocate for yourself. Um, and so I think that we can't stress enough the need for open communication um, and um, from the, from the get-go really. Um, I also noted that both of you talked about assumptions that were made about um, your condition or um, habits that you may have had based on your um, racial or ethnic background that may or may not have impacted your disease or uh, aspects of your care. And so I think it's really important to take into account that um, we should drop all assumptions. Um, and really, again, this goes back to the communication, talk to your patients, understand their work, their life, their culture, um, what is impacting them that may impact their disease or may not. Um, for in the instance that Rocio gave about um, not eating a diet with spicy foods, yet that assumption kept coming up in her care and was being um, attributed to some of her symptom uh, profile. So really um, not making assumptions. And again, this goes back to communication. Um, and lastly, you know, while we're really primarily speaking about two disease states, inflammatory bowel disease, ulcerative colitis, and Crohn's disease, there um, every patient has their own story. And um, that's why some of us as clinicians um, make a career of this because there um, are so many different ways this disease can play out. Um, no two patient stories are alike. And individualizing the care for the patient with regard to all of their care from a comprehensive standpoint is going to be essential to provide the best care for the patient. Um, so meeting the patient where they're 
at in terms of their understanding and their needs, um, and then paying attention to each aspect of their life, asking questions uh, if you have them, um, and trying to provide the most comprehensive care. I think the concept of the team and feeling supported by the team approach um, that both of you shared is, is really great. Um, and IBD is moving more into a multidisciplinary um, care place. Um, and I think that's really important to be feeling supported, not only by the, the primary clinician uh, who's taking care of your disease, but all of the team members as well. Um, I think with that, um, I will wrap up again. Thank you so much, Rocio and Tara, for sharing your stories with us today. Um, and thank you for your attention to this important topic. Thank you so very much for having me. Thank you so much for having me. You've been listening to Crohn's and Colitis Foundation Perspectives on ReachMD. To access this and other episodes in the series, visit ReachMD.com slash foundation, where you can be part of the knowledge.